Thank you very much, Scott and Kathy, for leading us. Uh, it's good to be in God's presence and, and worship together. Um, I want to invite you to look out the window, not maybe perhaps the way we normally start the service. In fact, normally if you're looking out the window, um, maybe uh, Martin might think you're daydreaming while he's giving his best sermon. But for now, that's where we're going to start. So I want you to look out the window, and I want you to notice how beautiful autumn is. We see the colors, we see the oranges and the reds. Maybe not here, but we see the seed heads forming and the berries and the fruit. And the seasons remind us that God is in control and allows us to praise him when it's something that's beautiful uh, like that. But autumn also shows us something else, doesn't it? It shows us that something else is around the corner, and we felt it a bit in the wind today, because around the corner is winter. The colors fade, the leaves fall, turn into a muddy slime at my front door if I don't lift them up. The trees are bare, and the earth appears to be dying for another year. And our seasons mimic our lives. Summers of joys and happiness and friendships, autumns of maturing fruit, of character producing something of value, culmination of work projects, for example. But then the winters come, often cold, sometimes long, and we live in just surviving mode. Treasured opportunities pass and painfulness of aging or loss or the cooling of friendships. And sometimes faith can be strained too. We can probably all acknowledge that uh, life comes with seasons, with winters. Uh, We're well aware of that in our fellowship at the moment with people that we love really uh, hurting. Sometimes that change in circumstances is anticipated, like loved ones uh, going away for a time. Other times it's like the wind has suddenly ripped the leaves off the trees uh, and robbed us of the pleasure of a few more days of autumn. Trouble can come unexpectedly, can't it? And we feel winded and wordless. And that's what today's passage is about. Uh, As we come to continue our sermon series on life in the Spirit, we're coming to think about how the Spirit prays for us when we don't have the words, perhaps with just uncertainty, or perhaps because we've been left speechless by some of our circumstances, and even talking to God seems impossible. So let's turn together to Romans 8. You can use it on your phone, grab a Bible from the back if you want to. So we're going to have a look at Romans 8, and we're going to start at verse 15 today. And I'm aware that as we read these verses, it's easy to take them out of context. So we're going to look at the context of being in God's family through his spirit and the fact that we're living in a, in a broken world. So we're going to read some of the verses from last week too. And I'm also aware that although I've learned a lot of the truth of these verses from my own experience, sometimes having to hold on to them really tightly, we are all different and we all have different experiences Uh, And I don't have this all sorted. 
but we come humbly around God's word together. Let's start at verse 15. They'll come up on the screen as well for us. For you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, being God's children. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are his children, then we are his heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may share his glory. That hits us a bit like the icy north wind when we open our front door from our cozy house, doesn't it? We don't like the idea of suffering being part of the package. But there is no guarantees of an easy life when we follow Jesus. Indeed, it's dangerous for us to think that we're doing some bargain with God by following him to get out of the hard times. It, it, it doesn't work like that. Verse 18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. As Dan said, not minimizing the painful things, but maximizing the hope of something that is going to be far better 19, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself would be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The now and the not yet. That groaning word's going to be important today. We're going to come back to that. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, as daughters, the redemption of our bodies, when all things will be made new again. For in this hope we are saved not hope that is seen, sorry, no, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope carries us in our times of difficulty, doesn't it? But hope, enough, hope is not enough on its own, and sometimes it can fade. I know personally when, fate, when hope goes over the hill, that's when Depression is on its way. So we come to today's verses because there's more. There's a likewise. Romans 8, 26 to 28 is what we're looking at today. Likewise, like hope helps us, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So, we're thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. So it's helpful maybe just to take a few minutes to think about 
who the Holy Spirit is. It's hard to get our mind around sometimes. We find it easier with the Father and Jesus sometimes. Unlike the wind that's blowing the leaves off the trees, sometimes it's easier to think about what he does rather than describe who he is. So we're going to use 1 Corinthians 2 just now for a moment to have a look. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 and 11. I find these verses really helpful. Starting in the middle of verse 10. For the Spirit searches everything. Spirit with a capital S, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except God's Spirit. And when Jesus promised the Spirit in John 14, he said he would send another helper to us. Same word as we had in our reading earlier. And he said the Spirit would be with us and in us. It blew my mind the first time I read these passages together. And I realized The Holy Spirit's role, or one of his roles in the Trinity, is to take the very deep things of God. God the Father, God Jesus, he's called the Spirit of both. And come into our lives where our spirit is. And to bring the deep things of God to us. To where our deep things are. Our spirit together. Most of us long to be known, don't we? But don't known by other people. No matter how hard we try, though, our best words and our actions fail often to communicate, and we really aren't known fully by other people. Just like Corinthians says, no one knows the, the mind of a person except his spirit. But yet God lives with that spirit, his spirit and our spirit together. He knows us, and he's bridging that chasm between the deep things of God and our human hearts. So let's bear that in mind as we look at our passage. Going back to verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Jesus said he would send a helper, and and when he uses that helper word, one of the things he means, it's translated as coming alongside, coming alongside us. The sense of bearing burdens together. When Martha was worried in the New Testament about, um, really stressed out about getting dinner ready for Jesus, she wanted Martha to come alongside her, and not, she wanted her sister Mary to come alongside her and help her. She didn't want advice about how to peel the potatoes and, and how to set the table. She wanted Mary to come alongside and help her chop the vegetables. And it's the same word that the Spirit comes alongside us not to throw advice at us, but to be with us in our pain. God in the pit, God in the dirt, like a baby in the manger. And just as a quick aside, we do well when we come to think about God, to think about how should we be like him. It's not just what we can get from him. And we have times when we have to come alongside other people, don't we? And that helping other people is not just giving advice or lobbing verse 28 at people from a distance. It's getting alongside people. 
And I know some of you have done that very well and very closely recently. But back to the Spirit. Note that he says he comes to us when we're weak. We don't have to get all our problems sorted out before we come to God for help. There's no pressure for us to get the words right or to work up some state of readiness or worthiness before we can come to pray. Remember, the Spirit within us knows us even better than we know ourselves. So he comes to help us in our weakness. One of the ways we're weak is that we don't know what to pray often, as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. Too deep for words. I'm sure you know those times when we don't know what to pray. Our house group met recently, in recent weeks, and we we knew we wanted to pray, but it was difficult to know how to pray into situations that were happening in our in our church at the moment. Sometimes our minds are overwhelmed, they're, they're confused. When is it right to pray for healing or to pray for coping in trouble? Should we ask God to take away the pain or should we ask him to teach us something in the middle of it? Sometimes situations are just so desperate and sad we can barely get our heads round them, never mind form any words to each other or or coherent sentences in prayer. Sometimes we're angry, afraid. But that's when the Spirit comes to our aid. I, I clearly remember a time when um, I was getting depressed. I, I have times of depression. And uh, for the first time, I didn't know what it was then, but I was lying back on my bed, crying out to God. I knew I tried lots of words, but there was nothing left to say. Just groaning, really. Longing for him to intervene. And that was actually the turning point at that point, that time. Acknowledging my weakness and turning to him for help. In my groaning, the Spirit interceded and God answered. But it doesn't have to be in life-shattering experiences. I don't know, have you ever been surprised by God answering your prayers that you haven't said yet? You know, you've just had a thought that's fleeting through your brain, and then it happens. That's the Spirit speaking for us. He knows. Like a student sitting alone in their room, realizing how lonely they are, missing home, only for there to be a knock on the door just at that moment before the thought had barely passed their brain. Someone from hometown coming to visit. Let's take those minutes. Let's look out for those and be surprised by them and turn them into praise. God is at work much more than we think, much more than we we know often. So the Spirit is coming as an interceder. One of those other helper words is to be an advocate. Uh, Someone that takes up the truth of some situation to a higher authority for them. And uh, that's what the Spirit does for us. And look at how he does it. 
the Spirit joins with our groaning. The creation is groaning, looking for the day when it will be made right again. We humans are groaning, looking for the restoration of God's perfection, for the removal of the hurting from us. It's hurting God too. Spirit's not an advocate who stands off at the side, coolly or condescendingly reporting on the state of our hearts. Well, my Lord, uh, Ian seems to be a bit upset again today. Uh, you know how he gets from time to time. You thought he would have got it all right by now. Feeling sorry for himself again. That's not what the Spirit does when he takes us, our hearts, to God. God grieves for our suffering world. On a big scale, the planet in decay and in the acutely personal tragedies and loss. And does that remind you of anyone? In the story in John 11, Jesus was asked to come to be alongside his friends, Mary and Martha again, actually. Their brother had died, Lazarus. And when Jesus saw Martha weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled, it says. And Jesus wept. We don't need to hide our pain and our anguish from God. Or not try to dress it up into fancy correct words. We don't need to wait until we've got it all reasoned out. We don't even need any words. Perhaps tears or groans or just raw silence. The Spirit carries our wordless pain and groans to the Father. Even when we manage our words falteringly, at our best it's just an impression of what our Spirit desires. I don't think we really always know what our Spirit consciously is trying to say, but the Spirit knows, really knows, and can take that to God. And there's no barrier between the Spirit and the Father, seamlessly in relationship. Do we realize that we're known like that? All of our situations completely understood. And the Father is listening. Verse 27 calls him, He who searches hearts. Like Psalm 137, 39. Lord, you search me and you know me. So the Spirit, the Father, hears the Spirit interceding for us. He knows the Spirit's mind because the Spirit intercedes. It says, according to the will of God. Now that can be a bit puzzling. It puzzles me anyway, sometimes. Is that saying after all the Spirit's done all this listening, he's just going to ignore it and say whatever the Father wants to hear so the Father can say yes? Is that what it means to pray according to the will of God? In fact, how can the Spirit turn our fallible, frankly, sometimes wrong and selfish prayers into a what God wills would happen prayer? without some furious backpedaling, you know, oh, Lord, it wasn't, Ian didn't really mean that. But we miss the point. 
Remember, the Spirit is groaning with us. He's with us along beside us, and His name is the Spirit of truth, not pretending. You see, interceding requires knowledge of both parties, and it requires representing both truthfully. It's a relationship-driven event, and my impression is this, and, and you need to check this out, see whether you agree, is of the Spirit taking a genuine representation of our spirit, our state of heart, our groaning, into the light of the Father's truth. Whether we've already managed to align it to God's will or not. And holding both together there. Bringing it into the tender perspective of God's light and knowledge of his best and the totality of his bigger plan. Imagine a heavenly conversation between the Spirit and the Father holding the plan knowing the best way plan and then taking us on from that place into that plan. If we listen to the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing rejection, the pain of torture and death to come and separation from his Father, we can listen to him pray. And who is praying here? Jesus in his humanity, absolutely. And from the depth of anguish of his spirit. And who is his spirit? The spirit of Jesus. Praying together. And he, Jesus said, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Both things brought together, honestly. The request not to go through it, and the the request for God's way. We don't have time, unfortunately, to look at that passage more. Sometimes, we look at it and think, yeah, and it was God's will he died, so nothing happened. But if you have a look at it at home, go and look at the story in Matthew's gospel, the before and the after, the anguish before, how Jesus then went through what he did have to go through, See what you think the answer to that prayer was. There's more from this passage we have to look at. And verse 28 starts, and I'm old enough to remember at primary school, you're not supposed to start sentences with and. But uh, it does in the Bible, so it must be right. (laughs) But we need to see why it's and, it's meaning, what's more? Here is a glimpse into what God's will is about when the, what the Spirit is praying for. So it says, and we know that what, sorry, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
Perhaps this is one of the most famous uh, Bible verses that we use uh, when we talk about suffering. As I said, sometimes we maybe glibly lob it at people. And so we sometimes shy away from it. But there is truth here that we need to listen to and hope that we have to hold on to. Sometimes it's one of those verses to see the truth of it afterwards rather than in the middle, but it can give us hope in the middle of the situations, the painful events that we face. For God is ceaselessly taking all things, even the broken things that are outside his original design for this creation, our messes, and working them into his plan for the best for his children and for the world and for the hope of the future that is going to come. Are all things good? Certainly not. Remember, the Spirit is joining us in our groaning, longing for our broken world. A friend and pastor taught me this tiny prayer when he was going through a really difficult time in his church and his family life. And his prayer was this, I hate this, but I trust you. I hate this, but I trust you. Like a tiny psalm bringing together the honesty and the hope of God being in control. All things working for good tells me that with God nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Looking back, I can see through my life, through all the various uh, careers and illness and failures and frustrations and choices, good and bad, God is weaving those things together for where I am now and in the future. Nothing is wasted. Sometimes, though, perhaps many times, things remain a mystery to us. Someone said, the presence of mystery is not the absence of meaning, but the presence of more meaning than we can understand. Sometimes we have to live just now in the mystery and let God hold us in it. We don't get all the answers now. But as Paul said, if hope is only hope when we see something, then it's not really hope. Sometimes we just have to hold on to the promise. One commentator describes this verse as a pillow to rest our weary heads. Sometimes it seems more like the cliff edge that we're holding on to until our knuckles turn white. But it's actually hope, not in a thing, but in a someone who is working towards our good in everything. But I've missed a bit out, haven't I? There was a bit round those words that said everything is going to work together for good. It says, for those who love God, 
for those who are called according to his purpose. That grates a little bit in our culture of inclusivity. Shouldn't it be for everyone? But it's not a promise, a vague promise of we'll just find meaning in it all. It's in the context of a family relationship. A father knowing and loving and growing his children. But the point is of being uh, chosen is not to have an exclusive club of blessing, but to be a light to our nations, isn't it? God never chose the Israelites just to have a special people that everyone else was excluded. It was so that they were the lights to the world to extend the invitation. And so this is an invitation that we have to extend to others. Do you know the Spirit? Do you know the Father that can know you, that knows you, that carries you through? And if you're here today and you don't know what I'm talking about, then he's calling you to be his child too, into the promise. Please speak to one of us. Don't go without speaking if you want to find out more about what that means. Notice that it doesn't say, for those who love God enough, all things will work together for good. Notice at the end that we are chosen. It's the two sides of the coin, isn't it? Choosing to love God and God choosing us. That's next week's sermon, thankfully. But it's not that we have to love God enough before he's working for us. We are in his care through his spirit. Okay, so what have we learned today? God's Spirit comes alongside us in our weakness, in our, in our painful places, our uncertainty. He intercedes for us with groaning, with understanding, with an aching for things not to be as they are, truthfully representing us to the Father. And God knows He knows all our fears, our doubts, our anger, our insecurities, our joys. Yet he wills a plan for all things to work together. Good and bad. For his good. Both things are held together in his presence. The pain of now and the things that are yet to come and are still to work out. It's in the context of his good purpose for his family and the renewing of his creation. So let's change, let's let those truths change the way we pray. Let the truth of the fact that you are known by the one who made you sink in. I'm going to take a minute or two to do that a little in a few moments. Know that there is no pressure to get the words right 
or to get into some state of sortedness before we come to God. When all we can do is groan, groan. When our words are absent or difficult or no longer work, just sit and be. And don't be afraid of silence when we don't know what to pray, when you can't pray. In fact, at any time when we come to pray, words are not the only way of communicating. We can sit in, our, in his presence with our feelings, our spirit doing the talking to his spirit. In fact, it's good to practice silence in the good times before the bad times come, perhaps reflecting on the day's events together. I know this passage is talking about the one-way communication from uh, our spirit to God's, but it's in part of the bigger picture, bigger biblical picture of a two-way relationship we have with him. And I'm learning slowly and falteringly that silence is often the way that we hear the other side of the dialogue, as Adrian Plass calls it helpfully. Sometimes in the stillness, we can be surprised by what our own spirit is saying. Perhaps as we're still, we notice thoughts floating across our minds that are actually what we're thinking or feeling perhaps different to what our words would have said. And we can catch the whispers and the fresh perspectives of God's Spirit sometimes in return. And it changes things. And give it time. Prayer is not a request to stick plastic leaves on the winter trees and pretend that it's summer. Relationships take time. So finally, let's hold on to the hope of knowing. We don't know what to pray sometimes, often perhaps. But we do know the Spirit knows us. We do know that he intercedes for us. We do know God is working for our good. So let's, hope on, let's hold on to the hope of what we know, even what we cannot see. Sometimes we hear the wind, we don't see its effect. And like I said at the beginning, that is like the Spirit. We can't see him, but he's here. And he's living inside us if we're God's children. And we're going to take a few minutes just to be quiet. I'm going to ask the band to come up because we will worship at the, at the end. Yeah, you can come on up. But we're going to be quiet. I'm going to stop talking. And I just want to give you the opportunity and me for those words, for that truth that we are known to sink in. 
So it feels a little uncomfortable if you're not used to being quiet, but we're going to sit and be quiet for a moment. And I suggest that you just say to yourself as we start the quiet, I am known. As we breathe, we're breathing in that truth. You might want to say a few times the beginning of Psalm 139, for you search me, Lord, you search me, and you know me. And we're just going to take that moment of quiet. Then we'll pray for some other circumstances that are around. But let's just have that moment of quiet. Lord, you search me and you know me. You search me and you know me. God's Spirit who searches the deep things of God comes and dwells in us and knows us. And as we sit in that quietness and that knowledge, you might want to let your thoughts go wherever they go. They might just turn to thankfulness for being known. They might turn to situations that we're in ourselves that God knows about, but we want to bring those situations to him or situations for other people. Let your thoughts just do that. Knowing the Spirit is praying with you. Thank you that you help us when we pray. Thank you that you know us.